Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Okay. Yeah, perhaps sign out if you can. Hmm. Well, maybe so. Woohoo! Okay, we're getting started with our with our Torah passage uh, for this week, which is uh, Vayigash, and he approached and it covers um, Genesis forty four uh, verse eighteen through forty seven verse twenty seven. Then Yehuda approached him and said, O oh my Lord, may your servant uh, please speak a word in my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so... He alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when you went up to your servant, my uh, when we went up to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my lord. Our father said, "Go back, buy us a little food." But we said, "We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us." Your servant, my father, said to us, "You know that my wife bore me two sons." And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, 
you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now therefore, when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up within the lad's life, when he sees the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For I fear that I see the evil that will overtake my father. Chapter 45 Then Yosef could not control himself before those who stood before him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me! So there was no man with him when Yosef made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Yosef said to his brothers, I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, before they were dismayed by his presence. Then Yosef said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Yosef, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Mitzrayim. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Yosef, God has made me, um, that has made me Lord of all Mitzrayim. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your father and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also uh, provide for you. For there are still five years of famine to come. And you and your household and all that you have will be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Mitzrayim, and all that you have seen here, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Yosef's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Yosef, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best land of Mitzrayim, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Mitzrayim for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come to me. Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Mitzrayim is yours. 
Then the sons of Yisrael did so, and Yosef gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Mitzrayim, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Mitzrayim and came to the land of Canaan and to their father, Yaakov. They told him, saying, Yosef is still alive and indeed is ruler over all the land of Mitzrayim. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told all the words of Yosef that he had spoken to them, when they saw the wagons that Yosef had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Yaakov revived. And Israel said, It is enough. My son Yosef is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46 So Yisrael set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Yitzhak. God spoke to Yisrael in visions of the night and said, Yaakov, Yaakov. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Mitzrayim, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Mitzrayim, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Yosef will close your eyes. And Yaakov rose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Yaakov and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Mitzrayim, Yaakov and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Mitzrayim. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Yaakov and his sons, who went to Mitzrayim, Rubain, Yaakov's firstborn, the sons of Rubain, Hanoch, Palu, Ezron, and Carmi, the sons of Shimon, Yemuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yachin, Sohar, Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohat, and Merari. The sons of Yehuda, Er and Onan, Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puva, and Eob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun. Sered and Elon and Yahil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Yaakov in Padan Aram with his daughter Dina. All his sons and daughters, number 33. The sons of God, uh, Ziphion and Hagi and Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Arodi and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ish- Ishvi, and Bariah and their sister Sarah, and the sons of Beria, Heber and Malchiel. And these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah. And she bore to Yaakov these sixteen persons. The sons of Yaakov's wife, Rachel, um, Yosef, and Benjamin. Now to Yosef in the land of Mitzrayim were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. 
the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, and Ashbel, Gera, and Naman, Ehi, and Rosh, uh, Mupim, and Hupin, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Yaakov. They were 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Ushim, the sons of Naphtali, Yazil, and Guni, and Yezer, and Shiliam. These are the sons of Bilcha, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Yaakov. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Yaakov who came to Mitzrayim, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Yaakov's sons, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Yosef who were born to him in Mitzrayim were two. And all the persons of the house of Yaakov who came to Mitzrayim were seventy. Now he sent Yehuda before him to Yosef to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Yosef prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell upon his neck and wept upon his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Yosef, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Yosef said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even up until now, both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Chapter 47 When Yosef went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that I have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Yosef, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Mitzrayim is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers and the best of the land and let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Yosef brought his father Yaakov and presented him to Pharaoh. And Yaakov blessed Pharaoh. Yaakov, uh, Pharaoh said to Yaakov, How many years have you lived? So Yaakov said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, and uh, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Yaakov blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Yosef settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Mitzrayim, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Yosef provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Mitzrayim and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. 
Yosef gathered all the money that was found in the land of Mitzrayim and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought, and Yosef brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was spent in the land of Mitzrayim and the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Yosef and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Yosef said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Yosef, and Yosef gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with the food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and, and, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left except for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before our eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Yosef bought all the land of Mitzrayim for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to another. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Yosef said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow your land. At harvest, you may give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food and those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, you have, saved our you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Yosef made it a statute concerning the land of Mitzrayim valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Yisrael lived in the land of Mitzrayim in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. So that's the section that we're taking a look at today. So one of the things we note here, uh, starting off first, is you'll see that there is a link to uh, the website hello.info slash p11 because we are on the 11th Torah reading of this year's cycle, parasha number 11. So if you go to hello.info slash p11, you can see the previous studies that we have done on this particular passage. But I'll just highlight uh, a, a few here before we get started too much further. Uh, one here that we have called uh, want God's mercy and love, have mercy and love for others. So, one of the things we'll be taking a look at is that this whole section of the life of Yosef is a, you know, it's a very long, one of the longest uh, stories that we have on a particular person, but 
what it highlights is something that is critically important. We'll be talking a bit about that more as we go on today, but a critically important lesson about not only just interpersonal issues and how to resolve them, but also the issues of how you relate in society with one another and uh, hugely important for what is starting out to become the family of priests and will then become the nation of priests for the whole world. So this, this particular passage here uh, talks about, you know, the, uh, the revealing of himself, and th this is a particular thing that we uh, will be touching on a little bit more today as we close out things today. But uh, this particular study um, is one that also covers uh, the identity of Yeshua and the, what the people of Israel, what um, you know, known today as, as Judaism, what they will recognize their Messiah to be. So, will Yeshua be a stranger to, uh, to the Jews? Or will Yeshua be a stranger to all of the uh, people who have been grafted into the tree? Yes, Larry, you have a question? Ah, oh, fantastic. Ah, glad to hear that. So, another uh, key study that we're uh, taking a look at, um, as mentioned earlier about having mercy on other people, that this is a, the story of Yosef is also a very key passage on uh, your relationships with uh, other people. And uh, another particular uh, passage that uh, we have uh, done this study on before is about um, the familiarity of someone who is inside the family. And inside the family, if uh, you, yeah, they always uh, say that a you know, prophet is, is uh, not known in his own hometown, as, as Yeshua put it, uh, that is said many different ways in different cultures, but rings true. You know, if someone is speaking something, they may not be believed because they've been around for such a long time. And uh, sadly, you may know that in your own family that you can say something and they'll just be overlooked because uh, they know you too well, there's too much baggage, et cetera, et cetera. But if someone else tells a person tells one of your family members, you know, your parents or your siblings that something that is the same thing, they'll, they'll believe it, they'll accept it, and you just kind of scratch your head and maybe even pull your hair out because it's like, why wouldn't they listen to it uh, when you were saying the particular thing? So, these things here about recognizing uh, a, uh, a family member who's been hidden and also reconciling among family members and among friends and among you know, your other interpersonal relationships. These are uh, fundamental things because 
as we'll see going on and we get into the Torah commandments uh, writ large, you'll see that just the, the head knowledge of it is not something that actually uh, is actually going to uh, propel you toward the family of God. And, and you can also say that it's something that will not propel the, the nation um, as, a, as a whole toward God. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, an ancient rabbinical saying that was, was talking about that, you, you know, you can perform the Torah perfectly, but still not perform the Torah because uh, your, you know, when you say your heart is not with what you're doing, you're doing it only from uh, rote uh, memory, rote instruction, not with understanding and wisdom. And we mentioned this in previous settings about how this is a key thing that the prophets take up, especially like you see in Isaiah chapter one, where you could say um, that uh, it's said in chapter one where uh, they were uh, perverting the festivals of God, the things of God. And then you see later on in the book of Isaiah where, you know, they're, they're doing things out of uh, rote and not from the heart. So that is a continual problem that shows up in Israel's history. So spurring off from these particular things and also launching into our discussion and building upon it from last week and the story of Yosef. One of the key things that we'll see here is this issue of the great deliverance. It's mentioned in the beginning parts of this particular passage here today where Yosef is revealing himself to his brothers. But one of the things that we can see that is really key to all of these uh, relationships that we have and how to restore these relationships is that we need to mend them based upon truth, that there is a right and a wrong way that things must go to restore them based upon justice, you know, to state that there have been wrongs that were been done in a given situation, that there has to be repentance, meaning that these wrongs won't happen again, that something that we're, we've been covering in uh, Torah Club related to uh, Yohanan down there at the River Yarden and, and preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he was giving, he was uh, officiating with the washing for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So basically that you had to make a turnaround and go a different path as, and he told the people to, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Basically, that you don't just say you're turning around, but live like you're turning around and doing something. So, that's these wrongs against either other people or against heaven, they won't happen again. And that you're actually taking steps to make sure that they don't happen again. And when we get into the, and re-talking about the commandments again in uh and further on, as we go into Exodus and Leviticus again and, and Numbers and then into Deuteronomy, you also note that some of these uh, corrective measures that you have in the penalties 
for these, especially like with um, stealing or damage of something, that there is a premium that's put on top of it, a penalty payment that's put on top of your reconciliation. So basically to reinforce that, hey, there has been a loss. So then you have to work back from that loss. And also with uh, mending of relationships, there has to be a forgiveness part aspect of it that you won't be recalling of the wrongs and that you will, in so many words, let it go. That you will actually let these matters go, not bring them up again, and that you will... Uh, we've, we've talked about this in previous occasions related to repentance, but a key issue is you may not forget about it, but you have to move on from it. And um, one of the key things that we can also learn is that with forgiveness, we can take a lesson from God's approach to it. And we've uh, talked about this with the New Covenant prophecy there in Jeremiah chapter 31. The key phrase right at the end of that says, and I will remember your iniquities no more. So that is a lesson for us in our approach to reconciliation. And when we forgive, that means to, to uh, basically push away whatever it is that was done wrong, that we will not remember it again. It's an active forgetting. And uh, we'll see that when it's uh, the act of forgetting part is that when there is a cause to remember it and a reason to remember it, what do we do? We purposely act in forgetting. It's kind of like when you think about uh, the Torah talks about judges to be impartial. Uh, being impartial, uh, truly being impartial is active. It is an active task. You must actively be impartial, which means what? You must know what your inclinations are toward one way or the other way. Maybe you may feel sympathy to one party, but you must actively identify that and you must actively look to the other side, not favoring the other side, but realize that you have a tendency that you want to go. Um, yeah, I talk about in my profession about uh, journalism, uh, part of journalism with trying to be impartial. We're never impartial. No journalist is impartial. No journalist is totally objective, but you have to at least notice where you want to favor it. You may want to favor one part of the story over another part of the story, but you have to basically take hold of that uh, wanting to favor that favoritism and say, I will also honestly hear the other side of it. I will not uh, try to twist the other side of the story, but I will honestly hear that and accurately present it and uh, give it its fair hearing. I may think in the end that it's not worthy of being consideration for truth, but I have to give it its fair hearing. So we should be thankful that that the honest judge of all the earth can also weigh things in a similar manner to take a look at us and and not be biased by the 
large truckload of baggage that we've brought along through our life and the things that we have done to harm relationships, harm our relationship with heaven, that all that is not just by the weight of it isn't stacked against us. So those are the starting point of where we're going here today. Now with uh, Yaakov and the issue of, uh, of truth on this, one of the, the things that you start off with, with the true part of this is the favoritism. That's one of the underlying truths of the story of Yosef is favoritism. That's where things began. Uh, the issue of uh, when Yaakov went to Laban, we read about that some chapters back, um, and he met Rachel. That was the wife. That was the one he wanted to marry. But we read about all the subterfuge things that would happen and with also you know, perhaps echoes of uh, his uh, issues with his brother Esau. But Rachel was the one he wanted. And Yosef and Benjamin were the children of the wife that he loved, the wife that he wanted. Now, in the process of going for uh, Rachel, you know, he was uh, given Leah and had a lot more children with Leah. So you have all more of these sons. And even you could say the, the, other children that he had with um, with uh, Rachel's uh, handmaid was also in the attempt to have children to have a legacy with Rachel. So that from the very beginning was favoritism. That there is favoritism toward one part of all of the family, all of the descendants of Yaakov. So that is something that was under undergirding this whole issue here. Now, you also see that in the story of Yaakov and Yosef, that heaven also seemed to be favoring. It was favoring Yaakov with the uh, dreams and the dreams that led towards success and favor with Laban, and then also with the dreams that led to reconciliation with Esau, and then later on with <laughs> with Yosef was the one who was having the dream. So much so that as we saw in a previous Torah passage, they said, oh, well, here come, his brother said, yeah, here comes that dreamer. <laughs> here comes that dreamer. We'll see, we'll see if where those dreams actually end up. So with, with the case of the father and with the case of heaven, they seem to be pointing toward one favored part of the family, toward Yosef and, and Benjamin also taken in there together. So that is, you could say, a truth that is underlying this whole account. Now, when you see aspects of forgiveness in that, uh, one key passage I thought was, was quite interesting there in Genesis 45, verse 15, it said, He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. And it's interesting how you um, you see the 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 Hebrew on that. It's like you know, and Achare Cain, and it's like Achare, and after that, and then that was true. After that was true. After that was yes and done. Then they talked with them. So it was like a um, number of commentators have noticed over the centuries that it's like okay, well they saw that he was 
he was uh, greeting them affectionately with the you know the brotherly kiss and then uh, also weeping on them so that showed hey that he was truly serious about it so then they opened up and talked to him but you would also notice that talking to him was quite the change from when they thought they had last seen him uh, when they had known that they had last seen him was when throwing him into a pit and uh, he was crying out for help and even when they were recounting amongst themselves and they thought that that Yosef couldn't understand them, they were recounting to themselves. It's like, hey, you know, he was crying out for help and we just didn't listen to him. We went, as the account said, we went and ate as after they threw him in the pit. So the interesting aspect here is that now they were opening up and talking to him. And also you see in this that Yosef was in the power position they were the brothers were in the previously in the power position they could have d destroyed him and they were plotting what they were going to do with him were they going to kill him were they going to sell him into slavery what were they going to do with him and now they here they are <laughs> uh, dismayed is one way you could translate their reaction aghast uh, frightened they realize, hey, now they are in Yosef's territory where Yosef could certainly come and exact revenge upon them. Yet, he doesn't. So, you see also that in the realm of forgiveness and also in the realm of repentance, there is also an underlying aspect of selflessness to realize uh, what you are going to do with uh, you know your selflessness say even though i'm going to hold this thing against you i'm going to go against what i want to do but i want to do what's actually the best for you the best for me the best for us and that is to let it go to actively forget it to actively put it behind us and not let this situation now come back and destroy our relationship going forward so the aspect that is he's um yosef is recounting to them in chapter 45 that he realized this was actually heaven's plan that this was a part of this uh legifat the gadala or the great the great deliverance and as it's interesting if you trace the the word uh the um, the word back through that uh, the felit back through the Tanakh, it's often translated as remnant or escape. Uh, you'll see it mentioned in Ezra quite a few times related to the fact that they were recognizing, hey, we could have been destroyed in exile. We could have been destroyed before the exile, but the Lord has deemed us um acceptable to at least be a remnant to be uh, a part that is rescued or ransomed and brought back and brought back to the land so you have yosef realizing that the various aspects of his um, journey his descent down into mitzrayim was a part of the ascent of Israel to be a great nation on the earth. And 
I guess you could say long-term is also a part of the descent of Mitzrayim as a, as a power, a mighty powerhouse in the region. Although you see some shades that they regain some of their glory later on in Israel's history as they try to ally with them against uh, Babylon at a later point in time. But some aspects in Yosef's life that you could say would be recalling were uh, that there was this plan from heaven to have a great, uh, re- a great remembrance, a great deliverance. You remember when he was in the house of Potiphar, it, they saw that again and again, the quotation was, you know, the Lord was with them, the Lord was with them. And that he chose that trustworthiness, that Yosef chose, chose the trustworthiness to heaven and thus, he would choose to be trustworthy to his master over bitterness. He was, he was involved in a raw deal. They, his brothers grabbed him he, you know, for various reasons. They were jealous of him. They sick of him giving bad reports about them. And they threw him into a pit. He ended up uh, going off to slave traders, ended up down in Egypt. Now, Yosef could have been bitter about it, but no. He decided he would be trustworthy. And you see a similar, similar sort of advice that the Apostle Paul is uh, in one of his letters there, uh, writing to uh, Philemon there about not Philemon Yon, but uh, Philemon about to be trustworthy, even in slavery, to obey your masters, to. Go back to your master to not run away from your master. Now, the amazing part is this is you get the indication that you're talking about you're talking about believers here. You're talking about a believing slave and a believing master, and how you are actually going to treat each other in the the process. Are you going to treat each other with the respect and reverence, or not? And and see that this lesson that Yosef uh, learned that this part of the plan involved maybe some things that were not so pleasant, like servitude in Potiphar's household, would be actually a part of the plan. And we see that also in the life of you know Daniel as he was dragged off during the Babylonian exile, dragged off to Babylon, and then ended up. Uh, serving and rose higher and higher and higher because he was trustworthy even in the midst of the anguish of the exile he was still trustworthy an interesting aspect that you see later on that you see even after Yosef uh, was so intent on being trustworthy that he ended up uh, getting into a, a jam by running away from the advances of his master's wife. He ends up in prison, but you see that his trustworthiness still continued on. And the, as it keeps repeating, the Lord was with him, even there in prison. And he gained responsibility there and greater responsibility came with it. And then you see that uh, Yosef, he grew up around the dreams and visions. He grew up around with his father. He had his own dreams and visions. But then he realized 
that he could trust the dream giver, the source of all knowledge for the interpretations of dreams. So thus, he, um, he deferred the, the, the attention, the, the glory, you could say, for the knowledge and interpretation of the dreams of his uh, co-prisoners there from, uh, from Pharaoh's household, his, his court, to interpret their dreams and later Pharaoh's dreams. And then he saw those worked out. And, and interesting is that uh, Yosef got dreams in the early part of his life about his supremacy over uh, his family, that he would be lifted up among his brothers. He would be lifted up even among his parents. And then you see later on in his life that even before that full fulfillment of those dreams comes, he gets an intermediary uh, fulfillment of the interpretation for Pharaoh's dreams starts to come true. And the things that he was given wisdom from heaven for, he became trustworthy to Pharaoh, and then he gained all the, the authority uh, for, <laughs> for Mitzrayim, for the entire country, down, down to him. Now, lots of folks try to figure out, well, why, why was he given so much authority, coming basically out of prison, <laughs> going up to the household of Pharaoh and to the idea of being a vizier or a prime minister, a chief minister of Mitzrayim. How did that happen? Well, the sign from heaven, so to speak, of the interpreting the dream. Mm -hmm. But you could, uh, there are other folks that say, well, maybe this was um, a part of the era where there were the uh, Semitic rulers of Egypt. You know, during the, the, the so-called Hyksos period, where you had these uh, Semitic folk who uh, took over, invaded uh, Mitzrayim, and ruled there for a time. But one of the things that, and you'll sort of see at the end of our passage here, where you have this um, moved into feudalism uh, that Yosef actually institutes for Pharaoh to basically roll up all the land outside of the priest holdings, roll up all the land and have the people basically become sharecroppers uh, for the Pharaoh thereafter. And that was uh, a very interesting period in, in Egyptian history because you'll probably hear about, oh, well, there's all the, these kinds of di dynasties and the, the dynasties show that Egypt's history is obscenely long, much longer than you would see it recorded in the Bible, even longer than you would, if you were to compare it with the Babylonian <laughs> uh, chronology is even longer than that. Well, the reason being is, is that there were lots of overlapping uh, pharaohs, uh, overlapping kings in Egypt uh, from the upper Nile, which eh, upper means where it flows from. So upper Nile is south uh, south, uh, heading the Nile River south to where it starts, and the lower Nile is down in the Delta area, down near uh, Goshen, where we have our story here today. And you'll see that there was various capitals in Egypt's history that came over time. Now, that rolling up of uh, power was a key part for there to actually have been a 
uh, you could say the the glory days of of Mitzrayim because they were busy infighting among each other up until the point where there was the consolidation. So, in a sense, the heaven gave the wisdom to uh, Yosef to make <laughs> to make Mitzrayim the superpower that it became, and rolling up all the power under one pharaoh instead of multiple pharaohs throughout the land. So, quite interesting. So, when the word says that. Uh, you know, the Lord says, I will set up kings and take them down. Yeah, there you go. There's another example of setting up this particular Pharaoh. Now, you'll see that uh, later on when we get to the end of the story, when actually we get into Shemot or Exodus, we'll see that that another uh, Pharaoh arose that didn't know Yosef. Now, people speculate, well, okay, well, this shifted maybe from Hyksos to back to the uh, native Egyptians uh, took power back, but you also have to remember that the uh, pharaohs were at each other's throats for <laughs> throughout Egypt's history. So, uh, one who was in favor with one pharaoh uh, could easily fall out with a different family that got in charge uh, at a later point in time. They were Egyptian history was quite famous for um, I could say revisionist history of wiping out the <laughs> the memory of the uh, the people who preceded them. So. One of the things that you see in here with this is that the uh, the eventual and the growing selflessness that uh, Yosef was learning throughout his life, learning to go with this plan, uh, was something just like we saw with his great grandfather uh, Avraham. Was something that was learned throughout time, learned to trust the Lord and learn to to go with that plan, even if it doesn't look like it's headed in the right direction to be careful when trying to help it along too much as you could uh, run into some trouble. Now you can also see here that Yosef was um, when he was hearing uh, first he had heard his brothers um, back in chapter 42, we had read that they were anguishing over what they had done to Yosef and that they were seeing that, Hey, this calling now for Benjamin, you know, their dad's favorite son that was left that he thought that this was coming in judgment for what they had done to Yosef. And then here in the beginning part of our passage in 45, um, we hear that, um, actually 44, that uh, Yehuda was willing to give up himself, that put himself into slavery in exchange for Benjamin. Because um, the, the very interesting test that was given to the brothers was, were they going to throw Benjamin under the bus? <laughs> Just like they did with, with Yosef, uh, take out another favored son. So, um, were, would they be willing to stick up for him? And you see, Yehuda is quite different. And we've seen that progression of his change and his uh, approach uh, to that uh, supposed, the supposed uh, little interlude period with uh, Tamar and that little punchline at the end of it, where it says, you know, to Tamar, you are more righteous than I. We'll see the eventual change in Yehuda as he moves along to become the ruler that, or the, the house of the rulers that would come, the coming kingdom. So, 
The interesting thing is that when we're looking at the source of this favoritism, um, it could possibly be that both Yosef and Benjamin were reminders of his favorite wife. And you know, now with Benjamin, the reminder of a wife that died, you know, bringing the, the second son in. But interesting part of that is that the, even though she had named, <laughs> named him on her deathbed, uh, son of my sorrow, uh, Yaakov had renamed him as son of my right hand, that this memory of Rachel would continue on. So that's an interesting aspects of this that we can see in our interpersonal relationships of uh, going back to where we started this with uh, forgiveness and you know truth justice repentance and forgiveness now let's see some aspects of that as we see some other great uh, reuniting of the with the brothers so to speak in the life of the mashiach uh, we started out this passage in um, in luke chapter 24 with our last torah reading so at this time we're going to continue on with this passage in luke chapter 24 starting in verse 30 When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were our hearts, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Shimon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they could still not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moshe and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Mashiach would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from 
Yerushalayim. You are my witnesses of these things. So, and actually, you know, continuing on, behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with, with power from on high. He led them as far out as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, uh, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So, one of the key things you see in the revelation uh, of Yeshua to to the the eleven, the people who are remaining there, and to these uh, two of the students that he met on the road um, as that uh, particular evening after uh, he after his resurrection you see some some key things of how is he recognized do you see that key aspect where it says that their eyes were open and they recognized him but then you see the later on that it mentions that they they recognized him in his blessing of the bread and there have been various ideas on what what that was uh that how they recognized him and how he blessed the bread you know the one idea is that um in in his uh blessing that instead of just uh a general term for god that he was using the you know maybe avinu the more like you know my father or our father as he instructed them as a model in prayer as one of the things that uh, is known historically is that the typical sages and uh, key uh, teachers, key rabbis, would have uh, distinctive prayers that they would pray. I mean, we have codified today prayer book, standardized prayer book of the, the various prayers that uh, particular uh, congregations would have, and those are selected and narrowed down over time. But in the early days here in the in the temple, they were more specific to uh, particular teachers and for their students. So that's one idea that uh, he was recognized by his uh, f- familial um, address and very um, affectionate and close connection address of the uh, creator of heaven and earth in the way he was uh, blessing the bread. Yet other people are saying, well, maybe they recognize the, because you see it mentioned later on in the passage where he's showing them his hands and his feet. So maybe they noticed it because of, you know, the scars on his wrists that that was what um, opened them up to it. And hard, hard to tell. But what was noted was, that it was very distinctive and that there was a veil over them before and that that veil was removed at that later point in time, which gets into some passages we'll be getting to in a short period later that um, there is uh, perhaps a part of the plan of heaven, a veil that comes over people's eyes. And we may fret, why is it that you know, our pastor, you know, our former pastor doesn't understand what we're, we're learning here. Why do my family members understand? Perhaps it is that there is a veil upon them. You know, can we remove the veil? 
we can't remove the veil. If the veil is put there for a particular purpose, um, we may find that there is a very good reason why the veil is there. As you know, we we read um, in a previous passage. It was one of the things that uh, the studies that I had up earlier was you see in Paul's um, Paul's exposition there in Romans nine through eleven, where he really wrestles with this: Why is it that my fellow brothers and sisters, you know, in Israel don't see that Yeshua is the Mashiach? Then you know, gets the basic revelation that. This is there for a given reason and is given reason to draw in the nations. And then at the end of the drawing in the relations, then uh, drawing in the nations, then there would be a uh, bringing in of the other parts of the nation as well. So, the next passage we're going to take a look at is kind of really stemming off of the passage we just were, were looking at, and you get an idea that, per, that it seems to be around the same kind of context of, of that in John chapter 20, verses uh, 19 through 31. So, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Ephudim, Yeshua came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And when the students then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Yeshua said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Yeshua came. So the other students were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and imprints of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now after eight days, his students were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Yeshua came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here uh, your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Yeshua said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Thereafter, many other signs Yeshua performed in the presence of the students which were not written in this book. But these have been written so they may believe that Yeshua is the Mashiach, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, and then continuing on into uh, chapter 21, you have the encounter there where he shows up with them as by the lake. And the interesting thing that we've, we've covered in previous occasions is this dialogue that he has with with Peter and the reconciliation with Peter and uh, skipping down to verse 15 in John chapter 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Shimon, Keva, uh, Shimon, son of Yohanan, 
do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Shimon, son of Yohanan, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Shimon of Yohanan, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. Peter turning around and saw the student whom Yeshua loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Kepha, seeing him, said to Yeshua, Lord, and what about this man? Yeshua said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, the same went out among all the brethren that the student would not die. Yet Yeshua did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So, the very interesting thing is there is some sort of uh, hints of what we saw happening there with um, the sense of favoritism. And uh, first you have the bringing back in to the confidence after the betrayal, great betrayal that uh, Shimon had done there during the trial of Yeshua of denying him. And now you have this um, <laughs> three times for the, uh, by one account, the number of times he betrayed him and denied, denied his knowledge of him. He brought him back in to friendship, brought him back in to the brotherhood that, yes, you know, you're a phileo, your brother, uh, again, a brother of the Mashiach. And you see also the interesting aspect of the, the favored uh, disciple who was, who was very close to the master in this case. And Peter is saying, well, you know, what, what about him? And the response from Yeshua was to, to Peter, hey, don't worry about him. Worry about you. You have your task. Go and, and deal with it. And it's interesting that you see the, the model there in the passage we're reading back in the Torah, that the role that Yehuda had was going to be different from the role that Yosef had and different from the role that the others would have. And as we get to the end of uh, Genesis, we'll see that in the blessing that Yaakov has over the 12 sons, that their roles indeed would be different. And to recognize that, yes, your role may not be the same as somebody else's role, but do the job that you're assigned to do. Uh, Rose, you have a question? I have been, uh, I, I mourn over my children because uh, I raised them up in God's truth and uh, they have wandered away like keeping Christmas and such like that. And so after hearing that scripture 
what Christ said to Peter, uh, do I take that to heart in my own life and not worry about my children and, uh, and just keep on my path towards uh, God? I, I mean, I pray for them every day that, that God would draw them near to him. But uh, I remember Ellie telling me one time that God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. So God does the calling. So uh, how, do I, how do I reconcile my feelings so that I'm okay with it? <laughs> well, that's when I was talking about earlier about active forgiveness. Um, active trust. Trust is, we, we've talked about this earlier about uh, the trust being a verb. Trust is a verb. It is, belief can be a kind of a passive sort of thing. Okay, yeah, I, I hear it. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, that's passive. The active trust is, yeah, I hear it. That sounds good. And I will live according to that promise, those promises. No matter what comes along and no matter what I feel like, no matter how things are going, no matter what other people are doing, I will continue along that path. So, you know, we continue along the paths that we have and uh, we trust that we are doing the mission that we are given and to make sure that, uh, that we're pursuing that particular path and leave the rest to the Lord, that the Lord is merciful, that the Lord is just, and that this will be taken care of in the Lord's time. But it's in the, in the sense that just as the brothers were questioning amongst themselves, you know, are, was it something that we did? Now, what they did was egregious, but it's an example of the kind of self-examination as you read it there in the Psalms where there's the, the prayer, you know, test me, you know, find out everything about me, then lead me to the ways everlasting. So that is a thing that we should be praying for all the time is to test me. Am, am, I, am I following on the right path? Am I leading other people on the right path? And, you know, give me correction that I may go on the right way. <laughs> as, as we've talked about before, yeah, be, be careful with that prayer because uh, that, that correction may not be fun, but it can be yep. uh, quite necessary. Can I say something, Jeff? It's Pat. Oh, yes. Hi, Pat. Hi. Uh, Rose, there's a scripture that says, believe and you and your whole household shall be saved. And you have to trust God with your children more than yep. anything else. You have to give them to God and trust Him to know that He loves your daughter and your sons and your, your children way more than you are capable of. And that's, that's something that I rest on because I don't always see what I want with my kids, but I know that God, you know, my love is puny compared to God's love. And we just have to trust Him with the people we love the most because He loves them more than we do. Amen. Hallelujah on that one. Yeah, Shay, you had a question or comment? Yeah, I, it's interesting that, Rose, you brought that up because um, I have three natural-born children and uh, three stepchildren and seven 
step-grandchildren and two natural-born grandchildren, and none of them are walking in the ways of Yah. And yet I did everything I could for the last 25 years to teach them. And so it, it, it looks terrible. <laughs> and it, and it, the enemy can come against me and say, you know, see, you have no good, no good fruit, no good seed was planted. In you, therefore, there's no good fruit. And it's a horrible battle that I fight a lot. Um, and last night I was reading in Ezekiel chapter 36. Of course, the famous promise about um, how he's going to give us a new heart, a new spirit, and give us a heart of flesh, and he's going to put our spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. But further down, starting in verse 33, he goes on to give us the promises of what that's going to look like. And he says, thus says the Adon Yahuwah, on the day that I cleanse you from all your wickedness, I shall call the cities to be inhabited and the ruined places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was laid waste tilled instead of being a ruin before the eyes of all who pass by. And they shall say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, the deserted, and the destroyed cities are now walled and inhabited. Then the Gentiles, those who look at our lives and think, yeah, if you had a God, your family would look like you have a God, but you, don't, you sure don't look like you have a God. Those Gentiles, those nations which are left all around you shall know that I, Yahweh, have rebuilt the destroyed places and planted what was laid waste. I, Yahweh, have spoken it and I shall do it. And so he really spoke to my heart that he has separated me so that all will know that he has done it. And not I had done it. It wasn't my teaching of my children that that brought them to his feet. It will be him and him alone. And everybody that looks at the deserted, wasted lives that seem to be um, the result, that that's not the result. That's not the end place. The end place is that the cities will be rebuilt. And the, and the waste places will be made like a garden and all will know that it was Yah who did it. So I just, I found a lot of comfort in that. I'm going to cling to that, especially when the enemy comes against me. But I, I, I hope that that encourages you as well, Rose. Yeah, and you, you bring up a very good point because in the context of that passage, they talked to, that's where we get the great prophecy of the, the Valley of Dry Bones. And what you think is dead, that it can never be brought back you know, the Lord can create to recreate. And that is one of the, the great promises that we have when we think that uh, things are just hopeless, that there can be the turnaround, which gets us to the last passage that we'll be closing out with here, which is uh, Acts chapter 9. And when you talk about the interesting great turnaround here, now Shoal still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light flashed from heaven around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. 
but get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Shovel got up from the ground, and th- though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, he was brought into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus called Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Yehuda for a man from Tarshish called Shaul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many uh, from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Yerushalayim. And here he has a testimony. Uh, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the nations and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Shaul, the Lord Yeshua, whom appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. So, when you talk about a, a turnaround, wow, that's quite the turnaround. Going from a hated enemy of, of the, the way of the, the students of Mashiach to being the chosen instrument and what the Lord forgave related to that, to let go that he had um, been functional in imprisoning and you know, persecuting so many of the believers until he was turned around. So our prayer is, is that that's the, the same thing happened with, with Shaul will happen to us, that we have the new name. And the promise is that, that what he has started within us, he will work through to completion. So our prayer has to be, and our trust has to be, that the good work that he has started, he will bring to completion on the day of Yeshua, the day of the Mashiach. That that is the great, the great promise. That the and really that day is going to be the turnaround for all mankind. The lies will be gone. The lie teller he will be um, attacked, assailed. And finally, all the lies brought to nothing. And you see also the reversal of death. Uh, Just as the reversal of lies, there will be the reversal of death. That those who have died will be remade, resurrected, brought back. So, that is the things that we have to trust in. And as we've seen in the lives of Yosef, and the lives of the other patriarchs that we've read about so far in this uh, cycle again, this trust in heaven is something that comes incrementally, but one that we have to take a lesson from, that we leapfrog, just as um, the Apostle Paul says 
uh, in his new life as a the chosen instrument in Romans chapter one, that you go from faith to faith, basically from trust to trust. It's it's stepping stones. You go from one to the next to the next, and you look back and you see the great work that was done before, and you move forward from that and say, well, if he has done that, uh, what he's promised more, I will trust that and move forward with that. So. The lesson that we have from Yosef is a great one about restoring our relationships, but also the great restoration that heaven is looking to do with us as well, just like he did with our our, uh, brother Paul so long ago. That comes to the end of our discussion here today. Are there any other comments or questions before we wrap things up? Yes. Uh, Regarding uh, Jacob and Joseph... They seem to have a propensity to overdramatization. <laughs> you don't say. Just, just a hair. <laughs> yes, your, my wife was commenting about that, and it's dead, dead right. They were a bit over the top on their uh, dramatic uh, tendencies, which I think is fitting for most of uh, the descendants of Abraham. They should have a over the top, uh, you know. Uh, dramatic, you know, viewpoint. If you get to read opportunity to read the comments that the the Judah Maccabee read or said, like, yeah, he's he's a bit over the top of it too. It's uh, very effective, and of course, uh, those are the ones you remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the ones you remember. <laughs> but Paul or Saul, same over the top uh, on a lot on a lot of their a lot of their their lives. I think it's funny. There's uh, I don't know if God happens to. Uh, to enjoy that or not, but uh, it seems to be a, a, a theme amongst the people. But uh, regarding you know, the the comments about you know children and such, and yeah, um, it is it is inherently difficult as a parent to watch your children. You you try hard and try to do the best you can to raise them and such, and and have them wander away or abandon or do their own thing, whatever whatever that looks like. My wife and I were discussing just a minute minute ago. Um, as a parent, it's very difficult because our children are relatively well. Actually, our first parents are still relatively young, but even when everybody else, when your children are young, they get exposed to a whole lot of stuff, um, a lot of things that are dangerous and difficult and hard, and they have to grapple with the differences between their friends and their households and their schooling, and it, it teaches different stuff all the time. And it goes, mixed up and tell hard and so um there's 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 always going to be a difficult time when those into those young children grow up and now they're you think they're ready for adulthood but reality is it's been hard and they had a hard time and they've had a lot of mixed information from the world around them uh and that's going to be there and it's hard to try to prevent or try to fix that as a parent and so it's kind of like for example my own siblings uh, we've all had grew up one viewpoint for the most part uh, but some went off on their own and some still are off of their own that's just bizarre and twisted and, and distorted in their world view uh, and that happens and I think a lot of it is that you can't, it's not easy to protect as a parent, the guiding of your, of your child. Um, that's one of the reasons why I think God distinguished Abraham out so well 
because he said, okay, Abraham, you're not like others. You are going to teach my ways to your children and grandchildren offspring and be apparently good at it um, because it worked. Now, it didn't work for, you know, Jacob's kids per se, but it worked for Isaac. It worked for Jacob and Esau to a point of their lives. Abraham was still alive. But even then, those men, they still struggled. I mean, Isaac, he still struggled with Esau. Right? <laughs> these great men that we look back to, well, they were they're the, the epitome of some of the best parents you can choose as far as instructing our children, instructing their children to follow the one true God. And even they had a hard time with it because the world around us is a highly corrupt situation, highly corrupt area. And our children are exposed to it. And it's, it's not easy and it's disheartening. I think Jacob was right when he said, few and hard have my years been. Uh, he has seen his children do things that he never would have imagined. And us today, we have not had our children do the things that Jacob's sons have done <laughs> or did by a long shot. Uh, and he struggled too as a parent. It is hard. It is a struggle. I think it's one of the benefits of understanding how God struggles with us because he's our parent and he sees what we do anyway. It's like, that's humbling to know that I'm the same. It's humbling. And it's humbling to watch my children or my siblings do their own weirdness. It humbles in that, how was that part of us too? It helps us to relate more thoroughly to a God that sees it every day of his life or of our lives just say of all the children wandering away. Mm. Anyway, those are my comments. Shay, you have a comment or a question? Yes, I have a question. Um, so looking at, at Genesis and, and day three, we get this, we get the plants, we get the seeds um, and the seeds bearing after their own kind. And then in the New Testament, we see, um, you'll know them by their fruits. You know, um, how, how do we know those who are the Lord's? We know them by their fruits. And, and so when our children are not following the way that we instructed them at this point, you know, and, and maybe for years and years they don't, um, how do we... What are the seeds that we're looking for? Uh, I, I know that we're looking for the seeds of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, um, but it seems like there's more to it than just the fruits of the spirit. There's actually like other people following behind us in our footsteps, you know. And if you look behind you and you don't see that, it it just for me it's just a wide open door for the enemy to come in and attack. So so any any words of wisdom and how to how to combat that. Well, one of the things that you you see that in uh, the word talks about the you know that one will water, another one will nurture, another one will harvest. So we don't know where we are in that progress of it, and uh, our our job is to uh, simply pass along what it is that we are given, and we don't know what uh, the role that we are having in any given part of uh the <laughs> the 
life cycle of a child of God? Are we coming in? Are we in the cultivation? Are we in the planting form of it? Or are we on the harvesting part of that? Yeah, the harvesting part of that, you know, coming up around, um, yeah, there could have been other people, a lot of other people involved with that process. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's a very helpful thing to look at is that, you know, it, we have to be satisfied with the role that we have, but also conscious that we need to move forward with the role that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, are some people who are concerned about, you know, getting everybody they meet, you know, proverbially or literally into the baptismal tank. Well, that may not be our role of it. Our role is to, you know, so, so the word. Pat, uh, is that you? Yes. I was going to yes. say something. It's, uh, Jeff sows into our life every other week. He sows into us constantly. Jeff and Tammy, they don't have any biological children, but we are the fruit of their life. We are part of their fruit that they're bearing. And I think it's important to realize that just their biological children are not the only thing that we deal with in life. That The examples that are set, the people that you deal with, and you... The only thing I can do to is encourage you to trust God with your children. And when Satan comes at you, say, oh, I know you just want me to, you're trying to make me stumble, Satan, I see your lie. And just turn away from that because he's lying to you. And your, your children see your life and that bears fruit. At some point in time, they will turn around. They will see that. Whether you know it or not, you're setting an example. Along those lines, there was uh, an elderly couple named Bob and Dodie Hoops who never had children either. Same story. Uh, he was, they, they're, they're both passed away now, but uh, Rose knows them well. I knew them well. Uh, they... My mother was dealing with Dodia. She was suffering from from, from, from a disease. Rose had dealt with her as well. Uh, that for during that time period before she had passed away, and Dodie lamented that they never had children. But my mother points out, you have hundreds of children. You and Bob influenced the lives of not just the people who went to your services that you had held for decades, but on and the instructions you taught for decades. But also, their children were influenced, and their grandchildren were influenced. Uh, you may not have had children of your own, nor saw any of your own biological children do anything, because you never had any, or they did whatever. But reality is, there were hundreds of people whom they didn't even they didn't know how it turned out, didn't know the storyline, didn't know how it ended. It doesn't matter, but they influenced and affected. And those hundreds, I'm sure today, are probably measured in the thousands. Because the sheer number of people whom they contacted and reached out to and taught and taught the law of God and how to live. And it affected many people. So though you, your own biological children, may or may not, we don't know where they're going to end up. But all the other children, meaning the people that you did not necessarily give birth to, but the whom you influenced, you will never know how they ended. 
Oh, I should say never. God made it reveal that time at, at some point in time in, after resurrection. I don't know. But the point is that there are many who are affected and many who are influenced who are not your biological children, but they're still your children. Tim and Jeff are going to be in the same boat at the rate which, which they're at. That there, are, there are hundreds of people whom they have influenced over the years. They may not know them, may not remember all of them, but those people were influenced in one way or another. And they will live their life. And at the end of the story, when all's said and done, God willing, maybe he might reveal to the two of them <laughs> all the people who were affected by them and encourage them over the years of, wow, we actually did do something greater than what was just given to us. And that is a great blessing. And so every parent is, you can only do so much for your children. But the people whom you know that are not necessarily your children you do far more for. I mean, any other thoughts or comments before we wrap things up here? Yes, Rose. I heard a saying one time and said, don't be concerned about your crop, but be more concerned about the seeds you planted. Amen. Amen. You better hope they germinate, huh? Yes, definitely hope they germinate. You betcha. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> oh, <I forgot>. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yes, Daniel, uh, down there in Mexico. As a parent of five, with 11 grandkids, um, I, you know, each one has been a process of letting go. They're not my own. Um, they belong to Poppy, and one of my prayers is is always for God to bring people of influence into their lives that will be His image for them that they can hear. Because you know, you know, kids they'd rather not listen to their parents, <laughs> other people. And uh, I've, I've watched numbers of different Christians come into various lives of my kids. Um, I never say anything. I just give God thanks and continue the prayers. You know, we'll know on the other side. Blessings to you all. God bless you, Daniel. And Shabbat Shalom. Have a great week. You too. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bye. Bye. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's uh, close things up here with prayer. Father God, we thank you for giving us the testimony of so many of your servants down through time. And Father, we thank you for giving us the Mashiach to show us more about your your character and to give us the give us the grace, the peace, the forgiveness to move forward and for guiding us to also treat other people in the same way. And Father, with whatever role that you've given us, we just pray that you open our eyes to see the role that we have, to be content with that role, and to do it with all of our diligence and the strength that you've given us. Father, we look forward to the soon coming of your kingdom. In the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. 
That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info. Hallel.info.